breast cancer diagnosis can be shocking, distressing, and incredibly isolating. Find warmth and hope through One to One, a podcast that connects women diagnosed with breast cancer to inspirational survivors, experts in the breast cancer field, and relevant self-care, wellness, and breast cancer-related information. Subscribe to our podcast and feel the power of One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. If you have breast cancer, you are no longer alone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. I'm Amy Tix, a breast cancer survivor, Firefly Sisterhood staffer, and the host of today's podcast. If you're new to our one-to-one podcast, Firefly Sisterhood is a group of patients, survivors, and supporters. We believe that no one should go through breast cancer alone. In our previous podcast, a Firefly board member shared her wish for Firefly's future. She said, the goal that comes to mind is that we will know a point in time where an organization like Firefly doesn't actually even need to exist any longer because breast cancer will have been cured. Today, I'm incredibly honored to introduce you to Judy Erdahl and her friend Kate. Judy's metastatic breast cancer diagnosis led her to embrace this goal and do everything in her power to find a cure through advocacy and fundraising, even as she is in hospice care during this interview, which took place in Judy's bedroom, with the windows open to capture the warmth and the background noise, which we apologize for. Before we start with Judy's story, Please note that Firefly does not specifically endorse the names of the researchers and institutions that Judy mentions today. We have included them to honor her dedicated work in our community. Well, I was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 2006 and actually found it doing a self-examination and called my OBG right away the next day and, you know, I did have breast cancer. It was really low grade. It was stage 1A. So we did a lumpectomy at first and turned out that I had lobular breast cancer and a lot of people don't know the difference between ductal and lobular. And lobular tends to grow in sheets, kind of thin and spreads out so it can be very difficult to find on imaging. And it took them over three and a half hours to do that lumpectomy. So then after they did the biopsy of that lumpectomy, they kind of were saying, I don't know if I'd get a mastectomy or not. It's kind of still some funky cells around there. We don't know what we think. And so I had to really think about that and decided that I was going to do a mastectomy, but I just did my right side. And that was a hard decision. And then five years later, on my five-year checkup, um, they did my blood work too and come to find out that my markers had doubled. So we did um, scans and found out that it had metastasized my bones. I've been very fortunate in that the average life expectancy with METS is like three to three and a half years. And this has been eight years in March for me that I'm still alive. So it's quite unusual. It's also quite unusual that I still just have extensive bone METS. There's not, um, when I went in hospice, I didn't have anything in my lung or liver yet. Um, And that's unusual too. So I'm kind of really different in terms of Usually it would have spread into some vital organs by now, and that's what I would be quote-unquote dying of, but Mm -hmm. now it's actually going to be excessive calcium amounts, and it might be in my liver or lungs. You know, it probably will jump to that at some point. So when I started treating, I just talked to my doctor, and we came up with a plan and treatment. I really did not have significant pain until in November. I mean, I had it, and I had a lot of fatigue, Mm -hmm. um, and there were things I just couldn't do, but not where I couldn't handle it with some pain meds. 
this has been really hard. Starting in November, I started getting compression fractures and my ribs were fracturing. And the first time it happened, I was at um, a store with Becky and I picked up a hanger and I felt a large pop. And I, you know, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't do anything, and that was the first rib that went. And in fact, that weekend, I was really having a hard time with the new chemo that we had tried and was vomiting and sick to my stomach just way more than I had been at any point in all the years previously. And that's when I could feel more pops, and so I broke a few more. But it's so extensive that I was 5'11", and I think I'm like 5'8 and a half now. I mean, it's really, I've had at least six compression fractures in my spine, and then numerous broken and cracked ribs. So the last appointment with Dr. Zander, I kind of knew we were getting there because my markers just weren't responding. Mm -hmm. And we had already gone back to some meds for the second round. You know, we'd been doing everything, and a few we had tried twice and was getting less and less response. Um, and so when I was in the hospital for the compression fractures and the pain, we started treating again with adromycin, which is the little red, red devil. devil. Yep. Yes. Um, and thought that that would really work because it worked miraculously when I did it before, mm -hmm. but it didn't do anything. In two weeks, my markers were going up by like 200 points. And so when I did see Dr. Zander, when I got out of the hospital, he just said, I think it's time that we stop treatment. We had really discussed that. Mm -hmm. And I really was counting on him to be honest with me on that because I've had so many friends who keep treating, keep treating, and they go into, the ho into hospice and they die like a week or two weeks later. And they're so out of it and miserable and sick that they don't have any quality time at the end to spend with their family. And I really didn't want that to be that way. I really wanted some quality time. And you have children and yeah. obviously extended yeah, family and Yeah, I'm friends. very fortunate. And I think that's been the biggest thing that's been so wonderful out of something terrible mm -hmm. is just the love of the community and my friends and what has really stabilized and just come forward from all of this. It's been just astounding to me. I mean, I get really emotional. And I, you know, and people always talk about me, but it's really the people that are surrounding me. So let's talk about those people that are surrounding you. So tell me um, a little bit about how Team Judy came to be, or were you, Judy, were you the start? Oh, no, I think Kate was the start. There were people with Kate that... I think all of us hoped that we would never bring a, a dinner to Judy after her initial round with cancer. But it unfortunately that wasn't the case. It's, mm -hmm. It was going to happen as to again to Judy and we were devastated. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, we were devastated and we were devastated for Judy mm -hmm. and her family. So we all kind of thought, what the heck are we going to do? And we wanted to do something that was meaningful. And the thing that is key about Judy is that she <laughs> is always looking out for and thinking about other people. And she is always making the world a little bit better. Uh, the first year we did the three-day walk. Believe it or not, uh, Judy, because she has the best walk of all of us, <laughs> led us in the three-day walk, and um, it was a blast. But it wasn't exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to be able to fund scientific research mm -hmm. devoted to metastatic breast cancer research. Mm -hmm. 
and we were thrilled that our own National Comprehensive Cancer Center is here in the Twin Cities, the Masonic Cancer Center at the University of Minnesota. And they were thrilled that we were thrilled with them. A win, yeah. win, win, win. It was a super win. So we started having wine nights because what can be more fun than in the middle of July, we get together, um, 100 people come, they drink wine in the backyard unless it rains and then they drink wine in the house <laughs> and people from the cancer center always come they yeah. talk about the research and the impact that we're having oh i love that they come out and oh speak. and it's oh. been amazing to me how much just the average lay person really loves talking to all the researchers and having that that intimate contact with them and the ability to ask questions they are engaged and excited to be close to people who are devoted to their research. Yeah. They love it, um, those researchers. So we're, we've funded three projects. I would love to say that it is our brainy decision that chooses <laughs> the uh, project on metastatic breast cancer that will receive our funds. It's always $20,000 a year. It's often more. We're not the big brains behind the, the choosing part. We get a lot of help from uh, Doug Yee, Dr. Yee, at the University of Minnesota's Cancer Center. is the head or the director of the Masonic Cancer Center, and he really uh, pinpoints projects that he thinks are promising and that they will leverage great results for ongoing new therapies and treatments for metastatic breast cancer. We get to have lunch with them once a year. Go down to the cancer center. We have lunch. Tour the labs. Tour the labs. Get kind of an update from the researchers on where the research is going and what they've accomplished. And it's a thrill every it year. It's really amazing. We are now funding an immunotherapy work. As you know, immunotherapy is now being used successfully for different kinds of cancers, skin cancers, lung cancers, but for whatever reason, it has not worked very well for metastatic breast cancer. There's a couple of problems. It's really problems. difficult to identify the cell to target. Right. So they have a hard time targeting, and then they have a hard time attacking or knowing how to attack. And it's not just one breast cancer. There are over nine subtypes of breast cancer. It is fantastic for us. We uh, feel engaged and personally connected to what happens. We are so glad we can move this forward. We are thrilled that in whatever small way we can do that work, it's helping. Besides Y night, is there other ways you fundraise that? I mean, mostly it's Y night, but then other people will step up to the plate as well, especially in our local community. We have had a beer night. <laughs> at the local brewery. We've had other people have fundraisers. In, it's been a really enriching experience for Team Judy. And so now Team Judy gets together and is t uh, bringing flowers, taking care of you. We would have done that regardless. They would have okay. done that anyway. We okay. would have done that regardless. We wanted to make a positive impact forward. And that is a Judy might have. And how many people are on Team Judy? The team is a loose group of friends, uh, work colleagues, cousins, uh, neighbors, who all thought we need to do something and we don't know what. For me, what's been so important about Team Judy and all of this is it's really given us an opportunity to educate about metastatic breast cancer. And when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer um, and all the whole pink field of everything, it almost was like you felt okay with getting breast cancer because you were gonna join this big pink party and it was 
in a in a really perverse way was going to be fun because you had this sisterhood and these close relationships instantly with people but the more years I had metastatic breast cancer the more I learned and became educated myself I didn't realize that 30% of women originally diagnosed with breast cancer will go on to have metastatic breast cancer it's allowed Judy to be an advocate yes. not just here but across the country for yes. increased education support systems services and research funding for metastatic breast cancer. And having metastatic breast cancer can be very, very isolating. In starting the conference here for metastatic breast cancer, we would have women and men, because men get breast cancer too and we leave them out a lot, mm -hmm. come up to us and say, I have not met a single other person with metastatic breast cancer before. And they're just in tears mm -hmm. because they finally met a group of people who understand that you can look normal and yet your life is turned upside down by having scans every three months and knowing that you're really living with a terminal illness, but you're still living with it and just never having someone to talk about mm -hmm. it all with. So that has been very fulfilling for me and important to me. You have a <clears> blog. <throat> um, I Googled you. Yeah. <laughs> and you are everywhere. <laughs> I feel like I'm just newspaper articles <laughs> and blogs and uh, videos. Where have you been? Judy has been part of the DOD research grant efforts. That... I was on the panel where you helped yeah. review grants. I've done yeah. that before too. Yeah, yes. have you? Yes. It's a good thing Fly to do, to and you feel like they're really listening to you. Yes, and to feel like you are having an impact. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And it's absolutely fun to read the latest It is fun. It gives you a little bit of hope. The researchers have realized how important the patient yes. voice as an advocate yes. is mm -hmm. and have really included advocates in their research and in their grant proposals. And the DOD and the National Institute for Health are starting to pay attention, realizing there are real people that this is affecting. And then this past summer, I did go with um, Dr. Ruben Harris and his group to the National Institute of Health and talk to them. And there were a couple of times I wanted to grit my teeth in frustration because they were saying, well, if this doesn't pass this year, you've got time, we can do this next year, the year after. And I'm saying, no, 40,000 people will be dead this year that shouldn't need to be dying. Let's get a move on. And so she was out there advocating. I felt like I was research. traveling in a different language, but <laughs> in a different country. And I was humbly awarded an award with the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Group. Mm -hmm. So I won their advocacy award last year. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and I think it's just that people from that conference take what I've said and spread it around. So when Judy started and Leslie started the Breast Cancer Conference here for meta metastatic breast cancer patients and their families, there hadn't been anything. And that first year was more than oversold with a humongous waiting list. The next year, they added a third more chairs, again, oversold with a humongous waiting list. To say that having metastatic breast cancer is isolating and a fantastic burden is the understatement of the year. And it's hard work to have metastatic breast cancer. It's just sheer hard work. Just keeping track of everything is really hard work. And if you are a mother, like Judy is, right. and it's just a ton of work. Mm -hmm. 
So to be an advocate for people who are unbelievably isolated and absolutely buried by the work and the difficulties associated with metastatic breast cancer is huge. But this is a really individual disease too, and people handle it differently. For me, I took it as an education moment, and that's what helped give me purpose and move me forward with having this. Um, for other people, they keep it really private mm -hmm. and don't know and don't want to share or talk about it too much. Mm -hmm. But I really do believe knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And it's been difficult with the breast cancer community that's just early stagers and have had it once and aren't treating anymore. There kind of was adversity happening. It wasn't unusual for people with metastatic breast cancer to attend a support group and be asked to leave because the things that they were talking about were scaring people who were early stagers. And that's happened more frequently than I care to admit. And the, the social workers and people leading the groups really didn't have the information to help people with metastatic breast cancer and to, you know, to teach them and give them some support. So things have really changed in the last five years since I have started being more aware of what metastatic means and how much it involves. Has it been Team Judy in your efforts, or what oh, do you think has Oh, it's a combined effort. Living Beyond Breast Cancer started this Hear My Voice advocacy training about four years ago, and I really think it's been people that have come out of that class because that's been a, that class has been attended nationwide. It really has created just a network of fierce advocates who are standing up and saying, you need to pay attention and take notice of us. October 13th is Metastatic Breast Cancer Day. This group of people has started, they're called Met Up. They'll meet at the Capitol on that day and approach different senators and congressmen and other representatives and talk about how underrepresented metastatic breast cancer is. Have you done that? Have I haven't attended it because every time I have been sicker than a dog. And I've really been bummed about not being able to do that. They do Diane's at the conference in Philadelphia every year, and I've attended that, Diane, and done that. And what is that? So Same it's word. like you would lay down on the ground and represent that 113 people die of metastatic breast cancer every single day in the United States. Mm -hmm. okay. Every day, 113. And you participated mm -hmm. in one out in Philadelphia. Yeah. How powerful. It is powerful. It's scary and powerful at the same time. Sometimes you need a visual. People need you a do. visual. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have a moment of silence and then a moment of recognition where we go around and state the names of the people that have died the year before. Mm -hmm. And that's always powerful and sad because there's so many, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so many people that I've known and really cared about have passed away. But you have to choose to have the courage and to make new friends and meet more people and mentor and help the other people that are just coming in. Where does your courage come from? I don't know. I think courage is doing something even though you're scared to death. I think because I knew how isolating it felt, mm -hmm. I had the empathy and the understanding of how those other men and women feel. And I really want this, if I have to go through all this, I don't want it to be for nothing. I mm -hmm. want it to mean something. And so I think that's where that choice comes from. In reading your blog, there's one thing that just stood out to me, um, besides the fact that you know you wanted to make sure that you are spending time with those you love, which um, 
Obviously, I am. you're surrounded. <laughs> I love it. Um, There's only nine people in the house right now. <laughs> right? Where am I going to park today as I drive by? You wrote, it's odd to be using face lotion and notice that it's running out and thinking, should I buy a new one or will this make it? Has there been anything else odd or strange that oh, has all come the time, up? time, I think, why should I buy a new outfit to wear to graduation? Mm. You know, all, everything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it happens all the time. What about people that are coming in to visit? I have been very grateful that they have allowed me to talk about dying. Mm. And a couple of them I've forced to talk about okay. it. Because... It needs to be talked about. We don't talk about what it feels like to be looking at your toothpaste or your face lotion and think, you know, is this it? Mm -hmm. And I feel in a really odd position in that today I feel really good. And I think, well, maybe I'm not going to stay in hospice. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going to get kicked out. Maybe I really don't have cancer. And then I get up and dry and walk around. Or I I really, my body shape has changed so much Mm -hmm. that it's just difficult how much it takes Mm-hmm. from who you are on the outside. But it is that lesson about who we are on the inside that really is important. Mm-hmm. That's the indelible strength of Judy. Mm. It's what's on the inside. It's courage and grit. There's a lot of... Mm. Um, this is not easy. It's, it's not just courage. It's <laughs> a, there's a lot of grit involved, and mm-hmm. I don't know another word that would describe it besides that. Oh, that's a perfect word. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would agree with that. And I'm thankful that I have a high pain tolerance because this has been more than I could imagine sometimes. You do. You write about that in that blog um, about how painful it was. Is that the most unexpected part of it? It was how painful? Even though you're in hospice? I think I'm surprised about we've done a better job now of getting the pain under control but I think I thought it would be more magical and easier than that. Mm -hmm. I think I thought just taking one pain pill would handle it. And instead, the amounts and the various things that I'm on to control this are terrifying to me. Um, you've answered all my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I, you know, we haven't touched on yet? Kind you know, of? every moment in life is important. And I think we overlook the simple moments and just pay attention to the big ones. And the simple ones are what really matters. It's having dinner with your family. It's meeting a friend for coffee. It's going on a walk and really noticing what the trees or the birds are singing that day. I think it's those things that are very, very important. Mm -hmm. And we tend to only focus on the big. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I said last year um, with the Advocacy Award, is a lot of people in the audience feel very small and they think that the Beth Caldwells and me, which I think not at all, are these big super-powered advocates that know all this and they could never do what we do. Mm -hmm. But it's just a simple telling of their stories. Advocacy doesn't have to be a big big action. Mm -hmm. It can just be a little small thing. Mm -hmm. It can be telling somebody who's asking about what's wrong or what you have, the truth about metastatic breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Or just sharing your story with the you know, somebody at the cash register. It makes a difference. And what simple things will you enjoy today then? I'm having coffee. I get to see my <laughs> With friends. With a friend? <laughs> it's a beautiful day. I, yes. I'll work my way out to the deck eventually. Oh, and the kids are all home, so that's really fun. And yes. yeah. We want to see metastatic breast cancer be a disease that becomes, instead of a you know, fatal diagnosis, 
something that can be managed, like a chronic condition. Truly chronic. Mm -hmm. And that people can enjoy life, have their days spread before them Mm -hmm. with options for treatments and therapies, and so that the the end of life isn't because of metastatic breast cancer. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. The other thing I don't think I touched on is that only of all the billions of dollars that are raised for breast cancer research, only like 6 to 7% of that goes towards metastatic research. And I think that's one thing that early stagers don't understand is that funding metastatic research will protect them in the future. All the science that we fund and is funded uh, you know, nationally now for metastatic breast cancer will help discover important science tools for different kinds of cancers. For all different metastatic cancers. It's not individual, we're not taking away knowledge Mm -hmm. from some other kind of science if we discover this. We want all boats to float higher. We want all disease Mm -hmm. to be lessened. Mm -hmm. And there's amazing research going on right now. So on Teen Judy then? One in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer. Has anybody else experienced? No, that would be my worst nightmare. No, not yet. Not, we hope never. No, mm-hmm. I hope never. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want anybody else to go through this. Mm-hmm. It's not a pathway anyone wants for anyone. Not everyone has the internal stuff that Judy does mm-hmm. and the vision to see it forward. But like you said, every person can do, even if it's just a tiny... Just a little bit makes a difference. Right. Right. We've had a lot of fun, and it's been really meaningful, Mm -hmm. and it's been enriching in our lives, which, if there can be some meaning from all of this, gently nudging the world forward Mm -hmm. to cures for metastatic breast cancer while drinking wine is wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time this morning for taking time out of your busy day. Thank you for joining us on One to One with Firefly Sisterhood. Firefly Sisterhood does not recommend or endorse physicians, other healthcare providers, healthcare facilities, medical treatments, and or any other content experts and providers that are guests on our podcast. Any health-related content in today's show should not be substituted for your doctor's advice. We would like to thank everyone who is helping us in carrying out our mission, our guests today, our sponsors, our individual donors who financially support the Firefly program, and our volunteer Firefly guides, women surviving breast cancer who support those recently diagnosed with this disease. For more information about Firefly or to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, go to www.fireflysisterhood.org. While you're there, consider supporting our one-to-one program with a donation or leave us a message with feedback by emailing info, I-N-F-O, at fireflysisterhood.org. Music for today's show is by Otros. One to One with Firefly Sisterhood is produced by Amy Tix at Firefly Sisterhood.